it has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. We left off last week wondering how the 2300-day prophecy would answer the challenge of the crises of the world today. Now, if you missed last week's show, you can go to our website, www.itiswrittencanada.ca, or you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada, and you can view the previous week's programs. But today we are going to pick up right where we left off. Now, you'll remember that as the angel Gabriel helps reveal the answer to the question of what does this mysterious 2300 days mean, Daniel listens in anticipation. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 picks up where we left off last week. And Gabriel says these words, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your city. Daniel's people are the Jews. Daniel's city is Jerusalem. And then it gives this time, 70 weeks. Now, I want you to think about this because hopefully it's starting to make sense. Daniel was given a vision of 2,300 days in Daniel chapter 8. Now he's given a vision of 70 weeks. Now, we need to do a little math, and if you're not a mathematician, just stay with me because it's actually all rather very simple. Daniel's city is Jerusalem. Daniel's people are the Jews. The Bible says 70 weeks are determined. Now, literally in the original Hebrew, this means that it is cut off from a larger piece. 70 weeks are cut off from a larger piece. What piece could that be? Friends, it's quite simple. That 70 weeks is cut off from the 2300 days of Daniel chapter 8. In fact, Gabriel says, I've come to help you understand. What is he coming to help him understand? That which Daniel did not understand. And what did he not understand? The 2300 days. 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks are cut off from the 2300 days. And then he says to Daniel, Daniel, I'm going to give you a starting point for the time prophecy of the 2300 days. Now, something that we need to do to help ourselves. We have weeks, we have days. So we need to keep it simple and make it all the same. 70 weeks, seven days in a week equals 490 days. The angel Gabriel is making this all so simple for us. The 2300 day prophecy has something to do with the time of the end and it has heavenly sanctuary language. But we have no beginning point for the 2300 days. Now Gabriel comes and says that 70 weeks or 490 days have been cut off from the 2300 days that are specific. Those 490 days are specific to the Jews. You know, I want you to remember, this cannot be literal days because 
Daniel 8 says that it refers to the time of the end. Now, to help us with our journey, we need to look at one of the most accepted biblical principles of interpretation of time prophecy. It's found in Ezekiel 4.6 and also in Numbers 14.34. But here's what Ezekiel 4.6 says. For each prophetic day, I have laid upon you a year. I have laid on you a day for each year. Now, so if we're talking about prophetic days, we're actually talking about literal years. So the 490 days, the 2300 days are actually literal years. So here's what the chart would look like. There are 2300 years in the prophecy. 490 of those 2300 have been dedicated or have been cut off specifically for the Jews and Jerusalem. But we still have a problem. We don't have a starting point. And so 2,300 years and 490 years that just don't help us very much because we don't have a starting point. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that the Bible does give us a starting point. Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 25 says these words. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem... Now, the word here, command, is literally translated from the original Hebrew as decree. Now, this is very interesting. Why is this so interesting? Because in Ezra chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, the Bible tells us about a decree. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace and so forth, I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up into Jerusalem may go with him. Artaxerxes made a decree. That decree allowed the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild Jerusalem, thankfully from history. We know exactly when that happened. That date was 457 B.C. So here we go, friends. We have a starting point. A starting point that reveals some of the most exciting news that you could ever see and ever hear. Now, the verse of Daniel 9 continues on, and it says this. Know therefore from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven plus 62 gives us 69 weeks. The Bible says that after 69 weeks of the 70 weeks, the Messiah would come. Literally in the Hebrew, this is the word, the anointed one. Now, we just learned from Ezekiel 4, 6 and Numbers 14, 34 that a prophetic day equals a literal year. So if we take 69 times 7, which is 483, 483 years from 457 B.C. takes us to what number? To 26 A.D. Now, there's a little bit of a problem, though. You see, on a calculator, in our number system, the, the calculator is zeroed. We have a zero. But in history, there is no year zero. See, in history, they would have gone from 1 B.C., to 1 AD. So you need to add a year back in. Now, this is not some quick-footed math here. It's very simple, and hopefully it makes sense. 
So actually it takes us to 27 AD. Now, did anything interesting happen in 27 AD? Because remember, the prophecy said that this is when the Messiah would show up. Well, Dr. Luke, when he was recording his gospel, he begins Luke chapter 3 with these words. Now, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, why do I emphasize that point? The 15th year of Tiberius Caesar was exactly 27 AD. Immediately following that, in Luke chapter 3, the Bible goes on to say this. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. This is fascinating. Because in Acts chapter 10 and in verse 38, the Bible reads... God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus was anointed as the Messiah when the Holy Spirit descended upon him at his baptism. Jesus was the Messiah when he was born, but he was anointed for his mission at his baptism when the Holy Spirit fell upon him. The book of Daniel predicts with absolute reliability the year that Jesus would be baptized. Jesus, my friends, was baptized on time. Furthermore, the prophecy goes on, though, to give us even more detail. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, it says this, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, 69 weeks plus the one week gives us that 70 weeks or 490 years. There's one week in here that something happens. What is it that happens during that last week of the prophecy? Daniel 9.27 is very clear on what happens. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. But what happens? The Bible goes on. But in the middle of the week, he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. So the middle of the week, which would be three and a half years after 27 AD, would take us to the year 31 AD. Does anything happen that brings an end to sacrifice in 31 AD? My dear friends, Jesus was crucified in 31 AD, exactly on time. And there in the sanctuary, in the temple, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, and with it ended the sacrificial system. Exactly as Daniel said, as given by the angel Gabriel, who received his message from God to give to Daniel. Now in Daniel 9, the central figure is Jesus Christ as Messiah. This is why, by the way, Jesus would say himself, for this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, Jesus Christ was crucified exactly on time. This is why Paul said in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come. Why would Paul use that kind of language? Because Paul, he understood the book of Daniel. He understood that God would send his son. This is why he would say in Romans 5, 6, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Paul understood the message of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that Christ was baptized on time. Christ was crucified on time. And in even more exciting news, my dear friends, Christ is now ministering. He's now ministering on our behalf because he ascended into heaven. And just as Paul told us in the book of Hebrews, he's in the sanctuary. Not a sanctuary made with man's hands, but by God himself. But what about the last three and a half years? What happened in A.D. 34? Because the full 490-year prophecy would take us to 34 A.D. What happened? The book of Acts records what happened in A.D. 34. The deacon Stephen comes before the religious council. He's given opportunity to testify on behalf of Jesus Christ. Stephen gave them, in his sermon, the history of Israel and Israel's continued rejection of the prophets. Stephen was, in a way, giving the Jews, as a nation, one last opportunity to be maintained as God's special people. However, they rejected him, they rejected the message, and they stoned Stephen in A.D. 34. On that day, it marked three things specifically. Number one, Stephen's speech that Christ was the Messiah. Let there be no doubt, Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, the Jewish high priest rejected Stephen's reasoning that Jesus was the Messiah. And then thirdly, in AD 34, the gospel would now go forth full force to the Gentiles. You see, part one of this prophecy, the 490 years, was specific, determined, cut off for the Jewish people. But there's still 1,810 years left. Now, simple math and simple addition takes us to the year 1844. Now, if you understand history and the history of Christianity, in the 1840s, something very special began to happen. In the early 1800s, people began to re-engage with the book of Daniel, and there occurred a great awakening. Now, this was vital because in the 18th century and the 19th century, much of North American Christianity believed in something that is called post-millennialism. They basically believed that the earth was getting better and better and better, and finally, Jesus would come and reign over this utopian state that had been achieved through human intervention and human goodness. But we know that's not the case. The world's not getting better and better and better. And so people began studying the book of Daniel. They studied it all around the world. And they read Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. And they said 2300 days and the sanctuary would be cleansed. They understood at that time that then only God's intervention could bring about perfect peace and perfect harmony. And they began to identify Daniel 8, 14 as the second coming of Christ when he would cleanse the earth. Now, while Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour, they believed that those words were simply for the time of Jesus. And now he was revealing to them the date of his coming. It seemed logical. It seemed very exciting. And these God-fearing people began preaching and proclaiming the return of Jesus somewhere in the mid-1800s. And there was an explosion, a 
growth in Christianity called the Second Great Advent Awakening. It happened in the U.S. and it happened around Canada. People were excited. They actually identified a date for Christ's return. And that date was 1844. Now, I need to tell you, before we laugh and condemn them, I want you to think about it for yourself. Put yourself in their shoes. There's historical record of people opening up their shops, telling people to take everything in it. There's historical record of farmers not harvesting their crops because Jesus was coming. And the day on which they predicted that he was going to come, it came. And of course, Jesus did not come. Before we laugh, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine for a moment that you're there. I want you to think. I want you to think of something in your own mind that's happened in your life that was the worst disappointment that you've ever experienced. And now I want you to take that disappointing experience and magnify it a hundred thousand fold. These people placed everything on the idea that Jesus was coming back and he didn't. But in the midst of such a great disappointment, some of them came together and they re-examined the prophecy. And as they re-examined it, they discovered something very important. The timeline was right. The timeline was true. The problem was the event that they predicted was wrong. As they examined the words for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. They began to see the connection to the day of atonement. They connected it to the day of judgment, to the sanctuary and the cleansing of the sanctuary. And here's the reality. In 1844, nothing happened here on this earth. However, something did happen in heaven. You see, in heaven, Christ transitioned in his ministry. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. Christ is still in a ministry of redemption. But in 1844, something happened. Jesus transitioned into a phase of his ministry called judgment. The judgment, because that is what is needed just before something happens. What is needed just before? Judgment is needed just before the second coming. You see, Daniel 2 outlined the history of the world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, second coming. Daniel chapter 7 gives new details, and the new details are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, religio-political power, judgment, then second coming. Then Daniel chapter 8, you have the ram of Medo-Persia, the goat of Greece, the horn of Rome, the little horn that extends out to be a religio-political power. And if all these prophecies match in Daniel 2, 7, and 8, what should happen right after the rise of this religio-political power? Judgment. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14 comes in that order. Daniel was given by God himself an indication for people of all time a preparatory message. A preparatory message because God wants everyone possible to be in heaven. In 1844, God began a special ministry 
Friends, Daniel was accurate about the baptism of Jesus. Daniel was accurate about the crucifixion of Jesus. Daniel was accurate about the stoning of Stephen and the gospel going to the Gentiles. And friends, Daniel is accurate about the judgment hour beginning in 1844. But here's the beauty. We have nothing to be fearful of. You see, 1 John 2 and verse 1, my favorite verse in the Bible says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Dear friends, the goal of Christian living is to live a victorious life in Him, that we would enjoy peace and safety and love right here on this earth. But then the verse goes on to say this, And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation. Now that word propitiation literally translated means this, the atoning sacrifice. This is for our sins, as the Bible says. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So I want you to notice the progression. 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus is our advocate, which means he is on our behalf. He is standing there right next to us. He is our comforter. He is our encourager. He's there to lift us up when we fall down. But the Bible also says that in the judgment that he is our sacrifice as well. He is the propitiation for our sins. But you know what else the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus is also our judge because in Daniel 7, The Bible says the judgment was handed into his hands. Here's what I want to get at. Too often in Christianity, the Bible is presented as a book of rules and regulations, narrowing down and limiting who can go and be a part of God's kingdom. But today Jesus is saying something completely different. He's saying, no, 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 that's not what the deal is. That's not what the deal is here. I came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. I came to the world as a human being. So that way I can sympathize with what's happening in your life. Are you going through difficulties? Jesus says, I went through those difficulties as well. Jesus reaches out and says, are you experiencing loss? Jesus experienced loss. Are you experiencing rejection? Jesus experienced rejection. Jesus experienced everything that we experience here on this earth. And the Bible says that he's our high priest. That means he's in charge. The Bible says he's our judge, which means he's the one that looks at the account of our life in the book of life. And then the Bible says that he's the one that advocates and stands next to us and encourages us. And then on top of all of that, the Bible says that Jesus is our sacrifice as well. He paid the price. The question that we must wrestle with today is this. What else? What else could he have done? The story of this book, the story of the Bible, is the story of the relentless pursuit of God to save us and to take us to our rightful home. He never intended for economic decline. He never intended for people to be bankrupted. He never intended for people to die of cancer. He never intended for people to die of old age. He never intended for there to be hip surgery. He never intended for there to be rejection. He never intended for any of that. The story of this book 
is the story of God doing everything he can to catch our attention so we would look up, look into his sanctuary where Jesus is the high priest, the one who sympathizes with all our needs, that we can come boldly to the throne and we could say to him, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at my wit's end and I need you to do something. And Jesus says, that's okay. I'm going to encourage you. When it comes down to judging this thing that happened in your life, if you accept my sacrifice, it will all be wiped away. I'll give you a new start, a new record in the book of judgment. Jesus has done everything in the sanctuary. We don't have to fear the judgment. The judgment is not something we must cringe at. The judgment is not something that we must be afraid of. The judgment is something that we actually can take joy in because we know Jesus transitioned his ministry in the year 1844. And it means one very simple thing. Friends, we are living in the final hour of earth's history. We don't know when Jesus is coming exactly, but we know this. We are in the final hours. Today, the appeal of Jesus is come unto me. Come into the sanctuary. See me. Give your life to me. And I'll make all things right. I'll make you a new man. I'll make you a new woman. I'll make you a new boy. I'll make you a new girl. And if you keep your eyes focused on that temple in heaven and cling to Jesus, you'll be ready for that day when he comes in glory with the shout of an archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And as 1 Corinthians says, then we who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The message of Jesus today is very simple. Keep your eyes focused on him in the heavenly sanctuary. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, God is doing everything he can to get you into heaven. I want to offer you today the little booklet, Pending Your Case in Court by Joe Cruz. In that book, you'll find encouragement that you can stand tall in this hour of judgment. Here's the information you need for today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at 
It is written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Friend, I hope you enjoyed today's program, and I hope that you have found joy in Jesus and know that he's doing everything for you. Please join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.